Hi there. I'm Michael Marvash, and this is The Dead Man's Forest, a weekly conversation where we reflect on some of the different aspects of being a human being. We think about what those mean, what impact they have on our lives, and how we can maybe respond a little differently to the situations we find ourselves in, in the hopes of creating for ourselves the kinds of lives that we want to live. Last week, we talked about some of the kinds of self-harm that we inflict on ourselves, the ways that we self-sabotage, some of the reasons for that. And we talked a little bit about enlightenment and how perhaps one of the criteria for enlightenment is that you don't do those things to yourself anymore, that you just allow yourself to be, believe yourself to be worthy and deserving of all of the good that comes your way. But I want to leave that part of the conversation by the wayside for now and follow up on another one of our topics from last week, which was our interconnectedness with the world around us, both the physical world and our past experiences and the ideological climate that we find ourselves in at any given point in our lives. This week, I listened to an episode of a favorite podcast of mine called Invisibilia. The episode was called Emotions. And it really challenged me and some of the ways that I think about the world. I'm not yet sure what I think about all of the things they talked about in the episode, but I am sure that I will be thinking about this episode for a long time to come. And I believe it will have some lasting impact on the way I look at the world. And it connects back to that interconnectedness that we have been talking about here. The idea that they shared in this episode is that our emotions don't work the way we traditionally think they do. And they don't really work the way it feels like they do to us. And perhaps the easiest way to explain how they were theorizing that emotions work is to make an analogy with the way that we now know that vision works. And we think that we look out at the world and see with our eyes all of the stuff that's there. And our brain simply draws a picture of it. And that's how our visual system works. But we know based on some recent exper experiments that vision works very differently from that, that until we have learned how to see something, we can't see it. 
So to explain that statement, we now have several people who, after having been blind for their entire lives because of perhaps a, a, a cornea malformation uh, or, or, or very serious cataracts, a medical issue that causes them to be unable to see, but at the same time doesn't preclude the possibility of them seeing at some point in the future. And these people who have been unable to see for their whole lives have a procedure that repairs whatever part of their eye wasn't functioning as it was designed to do. So a corneal transplant or uh, they have their, their lens removed to, to clear out those cataracts. And for those people, you would expect that after the procedure, they would just be able to see the way I do uh, and the way you do if, if you have the ability to do so. But that's not actually what happened. Instead, those people, all they could perceive about the world was brightness and darkness. That's all they could see. If you would set a mug of coffee down in front of them, they literally could not see that thing. All they could see was perhaps a smudge or a bright spot. And the reason that they couldn't see, we learned later, is because they didn't have visual concepts for the things that they were seeing. They had never learned what a coffee mug looked like. And so their brain literally did not know what to do with that information, did not know how to interpret it into something meaningful, and so they, they couldn't see it. And so presumably for me, for other people who have the ability to see, when we were children and we were learning the concepts for things, we were learning what a mug is and we were learning what animals were and we were learning what plants are, the different parts of our bodies and, and all of the physical objects that surround us in our world. As our parents were telling us what those things were, we were building the visual concepts that our brains needed in order to allow us to see those things. And so what that suggests, as crazy as it may sound, is that there may be things all around us all the time that we can't see simply because we never learned the concept of them. We just look right past them. And this example, remember, is an analogy for how our emotions work. And this episode of Invisibilia suggested that emotions are the same. That our emotional system is just taking in the information from inside our body. Just like our visual system is taking in information from the world around us. But if we don't have an emotional concept by which to interpret that information, we can't feel that emotion. And so just like 
the way we see the world around us was given to us by our parents, by our culture, by the visual concepts that we learned as children, our emotional landscape was given to us by our parents and by our culture and by the emotional concepts that we learned. One of the pieces of evidence that they point to that supports this idea that we need to learn the concept of an emotion before we can feel that emotion is that for any emotion that, that we feel, that we as members of this culture feel, you can point to another culture somewhere in the world where people don't feel that emotion. They don't know what it is. So take anger, for example. You know what it feels like to be angry. You felt that as a child. You learned the concept, and now it's a, it's a feeling that you recognize, can interpret, and so you know when you feel angry. There's a culture somewhere out there in the world where people never feel that emotion, that emotion of anger that you feel. And we tend to think that as human beings, we have this range of emotion that everybody feels similar things. And we now have reason to start rethinking that. And hearing this theory challenged me because because I felt it pulling me in two directions, two opposite directions, two directions that felt opposite. In the one direction it was pulling me was the fact that it seems to make sense. It, it does seem to describe a likely way that emotions work. And if true, then we should take that information and consider it and think, okay, if, if this is the case, how should we live our lives in response to that information? Because truth, despite, <laughs> despite what I've said about it in previous conversations where I, I, I wrestle with whether or not it even exists, Truth, I think, still exists as a human construct. Truth is still a useful thing in the same way that money is a useful thing, even though money doesn't really exist. It's just a human construct. So if this idea about how our emotions work is true, then we should use that information to figure out how to live more fulfilling lives. That's the first direction that I'm being pulled in. The other direction is this. It seems more and more like science is telling us that our experiences of things are not real, that they are not valid. And I worry that a great many people are starting to feel invalidated, like their experience doesn't matter because it's not real. It only exists in their 
in their heads. And I think that's a very dangerous idea. I think it's a very dangerous feeling to feel like you are constantly being told your experience isn't real and doesn't matter because that's not true. Our experience is all we have. And we've talked about this in previous conversations too, that the perspectives that we have are the only things that we can have to look at the world, to make judgments about it on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. And I fear that if science causes us to call that into question on a regular basis, every time we feel something, then it will eventually disconnect us from the experience of being alive, of being human. And I think that's a bad thing. <laughs> and so I don't know what to do with this new theory, this theory that feels right, but whose implications make me nervous. And I'm sure I'll be thinking about it for a long time. So if you have any thoughts on it, or if you want to go listen to the episode of Invisibilia, which I entirely recommend. And I'd be very interested to hear those. So please share. Earlier I related those thoughts about emotions to our, our connectedness that I talked about last week. And to reiterate that connection, <laughs> that connection about connectedness, it, it seems that to a much greater extent than we realize, the things that were given to us in our past, the concepts, both about how to look at the world, how to feel about the world, and I'm sure in other areas, they, they literally define the way that we perceive. So we think that we are sitting here perceiving the world the way it is when it seems like we are actually perceiving the world the way that we have learned to perceive it. You could think of that as being a little weird and disturbing, perhaps unsettling, or you can think of that as an opportunity because it suggests that you can relearn or unlearn or learn new ways of perceiving the world and it suggests that if you are able to do that, the world will literally seem different to you. You will be looking through a different lens of concepts. That's a good way of saying it. That we are constantly perceiving only through this lens of the concepts that we have been given. And if we go out and explore and wrestle with new concepts and try to incorporate them into our own lens, then we have some measure of control over how we perceive things. 
I'm not sure where that conversation will end up, but it seems like a powerful opportunity that we have been given. If this theory proves correct. <laughs> we are all of us, all of us, complicated things, aren't we? There are so many things going on in our heads. So many things that our brains are doing to regulate our bodies and to take in information about the world around us and to analyze them and consider them and come to decisions and we're imagining and we're conceptualizing and we're using language, trying to communicate with each other, with the world around us. We are unbelievably complicated creatures and it seems that we are far more complicated than we can even understand. That we lack the ability to look at ourselves, to reflect on ourselves, and to come to an accurate understanding of what we are and how we are constructed. And perhaps that's true about everything. Perhaps we can't truly know or understand anything based on this, this body and this mind that we find ourselves inside of. We seem to be creatures to whom certainty is denied. And it seems like historically people have grappled with this fact in different ways. Some people turn to religion for their sense of certainty and they hold to the idea of a being out there who is conscious like they are, but who does know everything, who does have perfect knowledge and perfect self-knowledge, and therefore can be certain of things. And they, they give their will over to that being in order to feel like some kind of control is being asserted over the universe. Other people choose to simply ignore the fact that they have no right to be certain and they simply choose to believe that they are right. They are certain that they are right and they either ignore or simply make themselves unaware of any reasonable doubts that might try to creep in. Other people choose to place their trust in their culture, in their society, in their civilization. And they say, our country knows best. Our leaders, through their wisdom and experience, will do the right thing and I, I leave it up to them to decide for certain what we as a people should do. And all three of these methods of obtaining a sense of certainty about the world around us have dangers built into them. 
because all three of them have been used to justify terrible acts of atrocity again and again. It is only when you are certain of what is going to happen to you after you die that you are able to do something like strap a bomb to yourself and blow yourself up in a room full of people. Only when you are certain in the justness of your cause can you perpetrate the crusades of the Middle Ages or can you enslave an entire race of people or can you put on that white hood and go lynch someone? Only when you are certain that your people are better than someone else's people can you perpetrate the Holocaust. Again and again, throughout our history, we have seen inappropriate certainty lead to suffering, lead to great atrocities committed against other people. And now I think we, as a society, are looking to science as yet another way to gain certainty about how the world works. Because we say science is devoid of belief. And if something is devoid of belief or dogma, then it can't be used as an excuse or a reason to do those terrible things that we have done over and over in our history. But I think that now we are starting to see the negative effects of the certainty that science gives us in that there is a sense of nihilism that has started to creep into our culture, a sense of meaninglessness, a sense of, as I talked about earlier, being invalidated as an individual because this certain scientific, empirical, objective viewpoint comes from outside of us and it doesn't take into account the importance of our own experience of being alive, of being a human being, of being a member of a culture and a participant in friendships and relationships and living life. And so if the cost of scientific certainty is despair, then perhaps we need to consider whether that price is worth paying. But I can think of one more possible response to this situation of not knowing that we find ourselves in. And it is to try to work to grow more comfortable with it to grow comfortable with the doubt and with the uncertainty, to sit with the not knowing and to get to know it the same way you would a friend or a lover, 
to develop a relationship with your doubt. Because just like the concepts that have been given to you by your parents and by your culture, just like all of the gifts that have come together to create this present moment in your life, that doubt too is a part of you. Your uncertainty, your inability to know everything is built into what you are as a human being. And so why should it be rejected when we embrace all of these other parts of ourselves, all of the rest of the present moment, all of the other things that have been given to us, when we don't question the way we look at the world, we don't question the accuracy of our emotions, we just accept their being there, their information for us. Why can it not be the same way with our doubts, with our uncertainties? Though that sounds a little peculiar at first, I can see one huge benefit, and it's this. When we maintain an awareness of the fact that we could be wrong, I think we are much less likely to make life-shattering mistakes or to commit terrible atrocities against our fellow human beings or against the world that we find ourselves in. When we are always looking at our own behavior and saying, is this right? Is this appropriate? Not just because someone else told me to, not just because I feel like it is, not just because of any of the other factors that we use to decide what is right and wrong, but because we are constantly questioning and asking and reevaluating and doubting, it seems much more likely to me that you would stop before going too far. If you're wrong, you're not going to blow yourself up. If you're wrong, you're not going to commit murder. If you're wrong, you're not going to commit genocide. And we think of the people who do those things as being crazy or unbalanced. And that's an excuse that we make to avoid looking at the fact that the capacity to perform those acts is also in us. That we are human beings who are subject to the same failure of believing that we can be certain of something that we in fact cannot be. So while I hope that I continue to make mistakes and learn from them, I also plan to not make that one. To not think that I am certain of something that I cannot be certain of by virtue of the fact that I am a human being and I am limited and I am stuck inside this body and this mind that can't know everything. But I'm also not going to stop trying to know more because I like it. It's enjoyable. So I hope that you too find it enjoyable.
I am gratified for those of you who join me here in the Dead Man's Forest who find it so. Thank you for listening, for participating in the conversation. If you have any input, want to ask a question or make a comment or suggest a future topic of conversation, you can reach out to us on Twitter at deadmansforest1 or you can navigate to our website, deadmansforest.org where you can send us a message. I'm glad for this week's conversation and I look forward to next week's. And so I will talk to you then. Bye-bye.